0: Would you pray with me? By your Spirit, O God, enlighten our hearts, open our minds, fill our vision with your radiance, and give us life as we hear your word today. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Hear now God's word to us. not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one, any of the things they had seen. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, speak now a word to us that would give us life, that would show us your transformative power once again. In the name of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we continue working our way through Luke, we've skipped a couple chapters since last week, so I thought I would begin by giving a very bird's-eye view of how we got here. So Christ was in Capernaum and then Nain. We heard about his healing of the centurion's servant, as well as the widow's son, and his confession to John about who he is. He then continues to travel throughout the cities and villages of Galilee. Luke tells us the story about Jesus forgiving the woman who cleaned his feet with her hair and tears, about Jesus calming the sea and freeing the man of the legion of demons. We hear about Jesus healing Jairus' daughter as well as the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. And then at the start of chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 to do the same, to heal the sick and proclaim God's kingdom. They return, and they go off with Christ to a private place to debrief what they had done. And then, of course, the crowds find them anyways, and so Jesus teaches them, and then he feeds the 5,000. Jesus once again goes off to pray, and asks his disciples who people say he is and here we get Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah so now a week later Christ once again goes off to pray and this time takes Peter, James and John up to the mountain with him this is now the third time in chapter 9 alone that Jesus is going off to pray And that makes sense with all of the action of the past few chapters, traveling from place to place, healing people, proclaiming the good news, teaching and training his disciples to do the same. Christ is persistent about getting away to rest and pray. And that should probably tell us something about how much we need this kind of rest as well. Yet how often do we continue to push and hustle and say yes to everyone and everything? We justify our perpetual motion then, either aloud or simply to ourselves, saying things like, well, my friend really needs me. I'll never get another opportunity like this. I've been waiting for this for so long and working for it. If I don't do Fill in the blank. Who else will? What if saying no reflects poorly on me? I'm the reliable one. People depend on me. Or more cynically, I can rest when I die. And rest is for the weak. Friends, if the son of God needed rest and prayer, how much more do we? So Jesus, Peter, James, and John head up the mountain to pray. The mountain, too, is significant. Mountains throughout the Bible were the points where human nature met God. And often when we read this story, we think of mountaintop experiences that are rare, few, and far between, those opportunities like retreats or conferences or mission trips where we feel closest to God. And those are great experiences, and we definitely need those. But I think the fact that this mountain isn't even named, we don't know which mountain or where it was, is indicative that mountains can also be any place where the temporal and the eternal meet. Some people refer to these as thin places, Places where the veil between heaven and earth seems transparent. And there's a holy pause where time stands still. And it doesn't have to be an extraordinary place or activity. Haven't you felt that at some point? That sense of timelessness, of just being present? Maybe for you it's in nature giving thanks for all of God's creation. Or maybe it's inside in a comfy chair curled up in a cozy blanket. Maybe it's holding a cup of warm coffee or tea or hot chocolate cradled between your palms. For me, it's listening to music. Maybe for you, it's journaling or yoga or mindful meditation Maybe it's when you're dancing around your kitchen or living room without a care in the world, or while creating visual art or writing poetry. And so on this mountain while praying, Jesus' appearance changed, and his clothing became dazzling white. And we're told that Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus and they talk with him about what he's about to fulfill in Jerusalem. And then we're told now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. Every time I read this story, I find this mention of being weighed down by sleep interesting and curious. All three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Talk about this in this story. And it makes me wonder: are they simply foreshadowing when these disciples will again fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane? Or is there something more? Well, sleep in the Bible can also represent anything that is the faithless counterpart to watching and praying. Sleeping is the faithless counterpart to being present to witness God in our midst and resting or communing with God in prayer. And how often does this describe us? Just like the disciples weighed down with that which prevented them to be fully present to that moment. We are weighed down by constant motion, perpetual work, productivity, tasks, and to-do lists. The sleep that weighs us down can vary. Maybe for you it's that underlying desire to uphold a certain image or reputation. Maybe it's just constant busyness. Maybe the sleep that weighs you down is the obsessive Dieting and exercise, or having just one more drink because the numbing effect is easier than silence and hard emotions. Maybe the sleep weighing you down is the doctor's prognosis on how much time is left or caring for an ill relative or your kids and spouse at the expense of your own health. These sleepy pursuits that weigh us down become such a normal part of our everyday lives that without meaning to, we become addicted to motion. And it builds just a tiny, luscious buffer between you and everything. But since the disciples stayed awake, they saw the glory of Jesus as well as Moses and Elijah with him. And then Peter opens his mouth. And not knowing what to say or do, he suggests that he and the other disciples make dwellings, tents or memorials, something to be there for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. I sense in Peter this sort of dueling, frantic response to the awe and terror of that moment. He seems to be both grasping at what to do next, trying to stay in that motion, and at the same time, trying to hold on to Moses and Elijah, the metaphorical law and prophets, to the past, holding on to how things used to be. I've been pondering this dual grasping toward the future and trying to hold on to the past, and I feel like it really describes where we're at in the pandemic. At the start, when things first shut down, the pandemic may have temporarily slowed us down. But we quickly became restless and uncomfortable from the lack of motion. And so it became easy to look wistfully at the pre-pandemic days or longingly to the future when it will all be over. Like Peter, we get caught up in the motion and are at a loss for how to simply be present to the moment present to God's transformation and presence right in front of us, here and now in the middle of things. The sleep that weighs us down makes it extremely difficult to be present for transformation. And the question that I think the story of the transfiguration presents us with this year is what does it look like For you to be present for transformation, for God's transformative power in your life now, today, mid-pandemic, mid-treatment, waiting for that college letter or test result or the wedding day, waiting to see a positive pregnancy test or waiting for the loss, the grief of loss to wane. What will it take for you to be present for transformation? Maybe it means putting off something on the to-do list so that you can spend quality time calling that friend or family member who you haven't seen or talked to in far too long. Maybe being present means ceasing the constant and frantic dieting and exercise to maintain a certain weight and actually allow your body and soul to rest in prayer and meditation. Maybe being present means turning off Netflix and having the hard conversation with your spouse. Or maybe being present means Stop cataloging all the bad and be present to focus on the positive, the good, the blessings. Finding even one to three things daily for which to give thanks. Maybe being present means turning off the news or closing the browser and opening God's word that brings, not death, but life to your soul. Maybe being present simply is saying no to one more work, task, or project, so that you can say yes to your spouse or kids. Ultimately, I think at the root of all of our hustling, and pushing, and rushing, and striving, is a desire to be seen as we truly are and to be loved because and in spite of all of it and to be told that we are worthy of that love. So thankfully, the story doesn't end with Peter's fumbling words and actions. As Moses and Elijah are leaving, a cloud comes and overshadows them. And a voice comes from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Or as I like it, how Matthew puts it in his gospel, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And here's the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, we have been claimed as God's own. We are sitting with Jesus there on the mountain, and God is proclaiming the same words to you You are my daughter, you are my son. My beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is what we affirm in baptism, that we have died with Christ and we have been raised to new life with him and that we receive Christ's inheritance. In her book, Present Over Perfect, Shauna Nyquist says that being present is about rejecting the myth that every day is a new opportunity to prove our worth. And it's about the truth that our worth is inherent, given by God, not earned by our hustling. She says present means we understand that the here and now is sacred, sacramental, threaded through with divinity, even in its plainness, especially in its plainness and present is living with our feet firmly grounded in reality pale as and uncertain as it may seem i think that being present for transformation especially right now means hearing god say to you allowing yourself to hear these words from god that you are mine You are my beloved child. You are loved. You are worthy. So quit hustling. Stop being weighed down by sleep and come join me on the mountain, the here and now that is sacred because I make it so. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.